take your copy of God's Word and you can turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Over the last few weeks we've talked about regaining our identity or the fact that the world that we live in is in a constant attempt to steal our identity. And that attempt comes from the enemy of our souls, the evil one, who it tells us in Scripture his purpose. You know, we have purpose statements, we have reasons we exist, and it tells us in Scripture that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we know that his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, and part of what he wants to do is to convince us of who we're not so that we begin to live a life that is different than what God intended for us to live. And we talked the first week about the fact that relationships sometimes rob us of our identity, and that the truth is that all human relationships will ultimately disappoint, and that our only true relationship that brings the identity that we need in life comes from our relationship with God. The week after that, we talked about the image that this world would want us to fit into, that there is a mold out there, an image that we ought to try to attain to, and that sometimes looking in the mirror can dissuade us from living as God would intend because we want to be something that we're not. Last week, we talked about the fact that sometimes our striving for success, our going after success, can lead us to live a life that is different than what God intends. Well, this week we're going to finish with what I think might be the most important of the four, the most difficult to get past of the four, and the one that can hold us back the most out of the four. We're going to talk about being pickpocketed by the past. And we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3 in just a minute, but I thought you, when I was thinking this week about mistakes and regrets and those kind of things, I ran across this story. Now, uh, this is one of those stories that's been passed around on the internet, so there's a very good chance it's an urban legend, but it's still good. You do realize that everything on the internet's not true, necessarily, right? I get about five things a week that are not true, I think. Probably more than that. But here's a story about a guy who bought a brand new Lincoln Navigator for somewhere around $42,500. Now, uh, they, they say somewhere, or approximately, that's pretty close. So $42,000 $500, and he's very proud of his new Lincoln Navigator. He's you know it's one of those big ones, and he and his friend, they live up in Michigan, and it's uh, in the middle of January, and they decide they're going to go do some hunting. And so they're going to go do some hunting, and of course, being in the middle of the winter, the, the lakes are frozen over, and he wants to show his buddy his new Lincoln Navigator, so he says, I'll drive, and we'll take the new vehicle. And so they load up everything they need in the vehicle, and they go out to, to hunt, and they get out, and he just drives it onto the lake. Because there's no reason not to. It's all frozen over. It's a deep freeze. And so they drive it out of the lake, and they're going to hunt some ducks. And he decides that they need a place for the ducks to, to light, to land, and that just drilling a hole wouldn't be big enough. And so being prepared for this, he and his friend take out a stick of dynamite. You can already tell it's not going to end well, right? And so he takes the stick of dynamite, and he is wise enough to know that you don't want to put the dynamite near the brand new Lincoln Navigator. And so he takes it, got everything out, got the guns ready, got the dog ready, all that, takes the stick of dynamite, lights it with about a minute fuse, throws it out into the middle of the lake. Well, the problem is the dog he brought is a retriever. Right? And so the retriever does what he's trained to do. He retrieves. 
And so the dog goes and he picks up the dynamite that starts to bring it back. And as he starts on his way back, the two guys that are sitting there realize the predicament they are now in. Because the retriever is taught to retrieve and to bring back to the one that tossed it, right? And so they begin to wave at the dog. Stop! Drop it! Stop! And of course the dog thinks that they are cheering him on all the more and begins to run even faster. One of the guys thinks that, well, we kind of stop the dog somehow. Maybe if I shoot over his head, that the dog will will realize that this is a warning shot and he'll drop the dynamite and come back to us. So the guy shoots over the dog's head. The dog, being frightened, begins to run even harder. And it's getting closer now. The fuse is getting shorter. And he says, I've got to try one more time. So he shoots over the dog's head. And the dog, immediately frightened as they intended, decides that the best thing he can do is find some cover. So with the dynamite in mouth, the dog burrows underneath the brand new Lincoln Navigator. The fuse ends. The explosion happens. And dog and vehicle are gone. He calls the insurance company to explain to them that this brand new Lincoln Navigator has had some problems. The insurance company informs him that sinking a vehicle in a lake by illegal use of explosives is not covered under his policy. The day after getting the letter from the insurance company, he gets the first notice that his first payment is due on the truck. An expensive mistake, wouldn't you think? Let me ask you this question. What's your most expensive mistake in the past? Now, I'm going to guess that none of you have blown up a $43,000 vehicle before you've ever made a payment on it. But if we're honest, we've all made mistakes in the past that are expensive. They may not be financially expensive, but they are expensive in some way, in a relationship sense, in a financial sense, in a past sense. There's some way that we have made a mistake that allows or is part of a problem that costs us a lot of something. And the truth is that there are a lot of people that are in this congregation, that are in our world, that live their lives recalculating, recounting, going back over all of those past mistakes. And the results are that life becomes a life filled with regrets. I think I've said this before, but one of the things that always amazes me when I watch people on television and they're interviewing people about different things, maybe things that have happened, good, bad, or whatever, they'll ask the question, do you have any regrets? And the popular answer today is absolutely not. No regrets. I wouldn't change a thing. And what I want to say through the television screen to them is, you are lying. Because the truth is, every one of us in this room has at least one regret. Now, the reality is that it's not those regrets that are necessarily the problem. The truth is sometimes guilt, sometimes regret can be a good thing because it can drive us to seeking after God, to going after Him, to finding out the reason for the guilt, the reason for the regret, and that we can be transformed and renewed. The problem is when we let that, like a malignant cancer, begin to eat away at us at a rapid pace and suddenly our life is consumed not by what we're living but by what we've done. 
And the thief loves for us to get caught in that. My goal throughout this series is not just to tell you the things that can steal our identity, but to give you an understanding of who we are. We talked about the first week that the only true relationship comes with God. We talked about the second week that, that, that we can let the mirror take us away, but that God has created us and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We talked about last week that God has great plans for us. They may not be plans that the world would see as successful, but they're great plans. And this morning what we're going to talk about is that if we are followers of Jesus, then we can rest in the assurance that He has wiped away all that we have done. And hopefully in the midst of that, you will be set free. John 8.32 tells us that. Uh, the New Living Translation is, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Before we look at Colossians chapter 3, and we begin to ask ourselves how we're going to regain this identity, let's look at four reasons that you may have some regret in your life. And what I hope to do in doing this is just to expose some things so that when we begin to talk about the ways that we regain our identity in Christ, you'll say, hey, that is me. That is what I've got going on. And as a result, I'm going to let God take back over. Here's the first reason that people have regrets in their life. First of all, they have exaggerated reactions to mere mistakes. This is what I mean by that. You make an honest mistake. You didn't mean to. It wasn't intentional. You weren't trying to hurt anybody. You weren't trying to make a mistake. But sometimes we allow even those mere mistakes to eat away at us and we overreact to what are mere mistakes. How many of you here have ever made a mistake? Good. We all have, right? So we're in the mistake maker club, every one of us. If there were a fraternity or sorority for mistake makers, we'd all have a membership. We're there. That's just a part of who we are. The truth is, Scripture teaches us that because of our sin, because of what Adam did, because of the sin nature that's within us, that we are prone to make mistakes. We are clumsy in our lives. And as a result, we need to realize that sometimes mistakes are just honest mistakes. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences or ramifications from that. But they're just mistakes. Sometimes people take those mistakes and they just beat themselves up with it. Another thing that people sometimes have regret for is that they have simmering sorrows over wrongs committed. Yesterday, we had some snow, right? A little bit. We had some snow the night before. Yesterday, I was thinking how interesting it was that Marvin had chosen to sing uh, My Chains Are Gone because it includes that verse, uh, that last verse originally from Amazing Grace that talks about as soon as the snow melts away. Right? And we've seen some of the snow melting, but last night or yesterday as we were playing in the snow, as we had gotten finished with that, we got through and we came back in and we talked about one of the things that we thought would be good for supper last night was a good bowl of soup. Right? Sometimes when it's cold, you just like soup, all right? And we have a soup that we like called Santa Fe soup. Just a bunch of beans and some taco seasoning, and you just put it in there, and what you do is you just let it simmer. You just put it on low, and you let it go. Well, here's the thing that simmering does. It takes a little while, but if you leave it on low long enough, eventually 
all those flavors come together, and it eventually even begins to boil, right? The thing is, there are a lot of people that have some wrong they did, and this isn't a mistake, this is something they intentionally did, and it just simmers underneath. And as a result, they live for years and years and years worrying about their past about something they did, about some action that they made, about something they said, about some some problem that they created. And as a result, it just simmers. And at some point, nobody knows when. It may blow the top off or it may just cause bitterness inside for a long time. Another reason for regret in life are the gnawing regrets over missed opportunities. For some people, it's not something they did, it's something they didn't do. It was the job they didn't take. It was the person they didn't marry. It was the person they didn't uh, ask for forgiveness. It was the position they didn't go after. It was some mistake that they made that they didn't intentionally do something. It was that they didn't go after it. And as a result, they always think what might have been, what could have been. I saw this week in the news, there's a show on television that I haven't watched. Um, I've seen the previews for and just decided it wasn't something I thought would be good to watch. Uh, it was a show called The Moment of Truth. I'm not going to ask if you have seen it. But it's a reality show, and what they do is they put somebody on a lie detector test and they ask them tough questions. And apparently on one of the shows, this husband and wife are on there, and they ask her some questions about... Is your husband, current husband, the guy you wished you would have married at first? Was there someone else that you wished you would have married? And what came out through this line of questioning, and I didn't, like I said, didn't see the show, but I read the article, is that she admitted that there was some other guy that she always thought what might have been. And so for years she had lived that way. The reason it was in the papers is because the two of them have split up because of the revelations of that show. And as a result, she has lived a life of regret over missing what she thought was an opportunity. Here's the last reason for regret, and this is kind of an interesting one. It's imposed pain by others' actions. Sometimes our regret has nothing to do with anything we've done. It's what somebody else has done to us. And this sometimes is the most difficult because it's not anything you did and you have to think about this person and what they did and how they acted towards you. One of the reasons that we live in a culture that that is having a harder time convincing people of the necessity of church. Recent studies show that about 80% of the population has a very positive image of Jesus. But only about 15 to 20% have a positive image of the church. And one of the reasons is because of past actions. Other people reacting to them. They walk into a church service and somebody says something to them. Something happens in their life and instead of supporting and loving and encouraging, they become condemning and judgmental. And as a result, people get a bad impression. And maybe it was at a church setting, maybe it was in a family setting, maybe it was in a friend setting, but in some way someone else has imposed pain on you and as a result you live a life of regret. Well, that's the diagnosis. The question is, what do we do about it? Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. And I'll tell you honestly, as we begin to look through this, we're going to see that this may be an interesting 
verse of Scripture, chapter of Scripture, and talk about letting go of the past or being going past the past. But the truth is, it is interesting because it gives us so much information about how we ought to live. This is Colossians chapter 3, and as a lot of Paul's letters are, chapters 1 and 2 in Colossians are just uh, kind of theological chapters, and chapters 3 and 4 are more practical chapters. And Paul, almost like a sermon, will, will give out all the theology, and then he'll give the application one after another. And so that's what's happening in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, since then you have. And we need to understand that he's going back to chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world. He's saying, because this has happened with you, he's relating back to the cross. And because of what the cross has done, chapter 3, verse 1 says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now here's the first thing that we need to see if we're going to regain our identity this morning, is that to regain our identity, we must first refocus our vision. Now what is interesting in chapter 3 is, Paul gives all of this theology, and then he says, if you're going to live the life God intended for you to live, the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to look up. You've got to begin to remember who Christ is. You've got to begin to remember what He's done for you. You've got to have a proper understanding of who God is. What He starts with here is not that we need to do this and do that, but He says, first of all, your heart and your mind together, both of them working, where your emotions and your will are, need to remember who God is. And one of the reasons that we focus so much on who God is and regaining our identity is because we can never have a true identity in Christ until we understand who Christ is and what He's done. And so we look at at, at what we've understood so far from Colossians, and you can go back and read this later, but these are some of the things that Colossians tells us about God and who we are in Him. First of all, it says that just as He died, we have died in Him. That we are now hidden in Him. That we are alive in Christ. That He will come again for us because He values so much. And when He comes again for us, then we will be glorified in Him. The reality is that what Colossians tells us up until this point is that because of who Christ is and what God has done, you have your past taken care of, your present is secure, and your future is assured. Everything is okay with you. And so as he's telling them that, as he's relating that, he says, the first thing that has to happen if you truly, truly want to live for God is that you have to remember who He is. On your handout, it won't be on the screen, but it's a verse of Scripture that we've talked about quite a bit over the last few weeks. It's Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. And we've talked about the importance to understand God and His love if we're going to gain our identity. And this is out of the message paraphrase. It says, that Paul, talking to the readers, says, My response is to get down on my knees before the Father. The magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth, and I ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite Him in. And I ask Him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the height. Live 
full lives, full in the fullness of God. What I love about the message paraphrase there is this idea that until we understand who God is and His love for us, then we can never live full lives. The first thing that we have to do is we need to refocus our vision. The second thing we need to do is that in order to regain our identity, we must perform a funeral. Chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Now, Here's the reality. We can no more put to death in ourselves these things that they list than we can scale the highest mountain by ourselves. There's no way that you and I can actually put to death these things. What he's saying is, Christ has already done this for you. Have a funeral, remember what Christ has done, and move on. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of His Creator. There is no Jew nor Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slavery, but Christ is all and is in all. Now that last phrase is often used in sermons talking about racial equality or gender equality, and it's true that what he's saying there is we're all the same. But what is the most immediate understanding here is that when you come to Christ, there is no more former you. Whenever you move, you find interesting things, right? Right? You ever you move somewhere, you go through old stuff, you look through old stuff, and part of what happens is you clean out closets, you clean out whatever. And we were in the process of moving recently, as many as you know. And as we were in the process of moving, one of the closets we cleaned out had some pictures in it. And I found some of those pictures that I wish could disappear. Anybody else got any of those pictures? You know what I love about visiting homes of people? is they always have a wall of pictures. What I really like is when I visit some of the young adults in our church, when I visit their parents, and I see the wall of pictures from high school and before. We all have a past, right? And there are some things in our past we would like to bury. Here's what Christ says, Come to me and bury them. Another new show that has come on recently, because of the writer's strike, there's been all these, these uh, uh, reality shows, again, propping, you know, coming up. A show that was, just came on recently is a show called High School Reunion. And they took people that had been out of high school 20 years from a, a high school in Dallas, Texas, took them to Maui, and they're going to live for two weeks in a high school reunion. And I thought, why in the world would anybody ever want to do that? I mean, except for the Maui experience. I mean, why do you want to go back to high school? I know that when I went to my 10-year high school reunion, it was like we walked into that room and we suddenly acted like we did in high school. You know, all the same friends were there, all the same topics of discussion. We'd moved on. I was 10 years. I was pastoring a church. 
And I walked in, and suddenly people were relating to me like I was walking down the halls of Dyersburg High School. And while reunions are good, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to your high school reunion. The truth is, we all have a past, and a lot of us would like to bury things in the past. And what Christ says, you can. I started this whole series uh, with a, a, an illustration of a toy, right? One of the toys that you tried to put the shapes in the different things. I didn't realize when I started the series that our own Jake uh, Gaines was one of those guys that used to put the toy, the the shape in the wrong spot, right, Jake? And used to jump on it to try to force it into where it should go. I didn't realize that. I appreciate it. You told me that afterwards. It was good. But this morning, one of the things that I think Christ would like us to think about is another great classic toy. And it's a little toy that's just a red box, and it's got two little knobs on the side. An Etch-A-Sketch, right? I was never good at the Etch-A-Sketch. I could never get the curves. I've seen some people that can be amazing at the Etch-A-Sketch. I was never good. And you know what my favorite feature of the Etch-A-Sketch was? The shaking, right? Because you can mess up, and all you had to do was shake it, and it's gone. Here's what Christ says about our lives. If we'll trust Him and we'll believe Him and we'll understand what He's done for us, our lives can be like the edge of sketch. You make a mistake, you color outside the line the wrong way, you just shake it, ask for forgiveness, and it's gone. One pastor says that what he does on a regular basis is he keeps a prayer journal. And then he writes down, he literally writes down the sins that are going on in his life. Or the sins that he's committed in the day before. And he writes them down, writes them out, puts them in his prayer journal. And he says, as he prays, he, he says, Lord, these are the sins that I'm confessing you today. Here's what it is. I have done this, and yesterday I did this, and I thought this, and my wife said this, and I responded this way in a wrong attitude. And he writes it all down, and when he gets through, he confesses it all to the Lord, he asks for forgiveness, and then he takes a big red sharpie that he has in his drawer, and he writes over everyone he has written, forgiven. And for you, getting past your past may require an actual physical step. Maybe for you it is that you're going to write a letter to yourself and you're going to say, this is my funeral and this is what I'm saying I'm getting rid of. These are the things that I'm getting convicted of and that I have asked for forgiveness and Christ has forgiven me and I'm doing away with it. And you write the letter to yourself, you pray about it, and then you write in big red letters, forgiven. Or you take it to a shredder and you put it in the shredder and you say, it is gone. That's what I mean have a funeral for your past. Now let me tell you before you get going that there will be some things that will try to stop you from doing it. First of all, there'll be pride. One of the barriers to truly getting past your past is your pride. And the truth is, one of the biggest barriers in life to living the life God has called you to is your pride. And we just have to come to a place to say, I don't have any pride left, Lord. I surrender. Sometimes God brings us to that place. Sometimes we get there on our own. But the truth is we all have to get to a place when we just say, I surrender. I heard a story this week of a guy. It's starting to get a little warm weather. I'm starting to get the golf itch. I heard about a guy that was getting ready to tee off one day and 
Somebody yelled from the clubhouse or got on the, the speaker and said, Sir, it was a tournament kind of atmosphere. And he said, uh, uh, Could the golfer on hole number one please move back to the blue tees? Nothing happened. Second time, the guy on the PA system said, Sir, could you please move back from the ladies' tees to the blue tees to tee off? Nothing happened. The third time, finally, he said, Sir, could you please move back or you will be disqualified? At that, the golfer turned around and said, If you would be quiet, I would hit my second shot. It teed off. It didn't go very far. His pride was gone. And sometimes God will use some instances in our lives to finally bring us to the point where we say, You know, I've dealt with this junk in the past for so long. I'm just ready to be done. I just want to surrender. Pride is one of those things. The second thing is denial. Just simply denying that you even live there. You think about it all the time. You always go back to it. There's bitterness in your heart about some event, about some action, about some problem. But you just say, I'm not having a problem with it. It's not something that that affects me. I live my life okay. There's nothing big deal. It's not a big deal at all. I'm fine. And you just deny, deny, deny. When you deny, God can't break through. Here's a third thing, and it's just simply fear. You wouldn't know what your life would be like. You wouldn't know what your life would be like without that being part of you. In Colossians chapter 3, what Paul tells them is if you want to live a life God intends, first of all, you need to focus on God and who He is. The second thing is you need to literally have a funeral for your past. And here's the third thing. We need to begin to embrace our new life. We need to embrace our new life. Look what he says in verse 12 and following. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Here's how we regain our identity, and we move past the past, if you will. We First of all, we look at who God is and what He's done. We have a funeral for our past, and then we begin to embrace who God has made us. We embrace what God has done. First of all, we embrace God-given identity. It tells us right there in chapter 12, I mean chapter 3, verse 12. We are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You know what I love about that? Is that the word holy there, whenever it's used in the plural, in the original language, do you know what the translation of that is? I didn't think so. I don't know we any Greek scholars here. I'm just waiting. Holy in the original language, in the plural, is the word saints. And what it says here is, really, literally there, therefore, as the people that God has reached down and specifically chosen to be His, as you who are the saints of God, loved by Him with a love that no one else can even fathom, that is who you are. I want you to think about those three terms real quickly. 
what they mean about who we are, this identity that we have. First of all, we are chosen by God. We have meaning in Him. We are important to Him. It is like God has a draft and we're all the number one pick. None of us in this room is the last kid chosen for the team. We're first. What it says is that God looks and He says, you are someone that I think is so valuable that I want to invest in. I want to live through. I want to use. And so there's value in that. Then He says, not only are we chosen, but we are holy. We are saints. We are different. We are clean. We are pure. What that means is that each one of us in this room has the ability to live for God because it is God who has made us clean. And then not only are we chosen and important, not only are we holy and different, but we are dearly loved. The first sermon that I did in this series, we talked about that it says in Proverbs that everyone is looking for an everlasting love. And here again we see that the only place to find everlasting love is in our relationship with Jesus. So first of all, if we're going to live in the present and live with an eye on the future and not on the past, what we have to understand is that we are the ones God has chosen to live for Him. That we have been set apart. We are different because of our relationship with Him and that we are loved no matter what we do. I had several people last week talk to me about the fact that we talked at the end of the sermon last week about the monotonous love of Christ. And that no matter what we do or what we've done, no matter who we are or who we've been, if we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, He loves us the same no matter what. It's monotonous. That's who we are. And when we embrace God's God-given identity, the second thing we do is then we begin to live by that identity. He tells us what to do next, right? Clothe yourselves. Change your wardrobe. In Africa, there's a tradition that when um, believers come to Christ out of their former life, what they will often do is at their baptism, they will be baptized. But before they're baptized, they will take off everything they own. And they will place it in a pile and they will burn it. All their old clothes, they burn. And then they walk naked into the baptismal pond. They are baptized and when they come out, they are given a brand new white garment. Symbolizing that what has happened is that they have laid down their old life, but they are new in Christ. And this is how we live by it on a daily basis. If you want to move past your past, you start doing this in the presence and God will wipe away what's gone on. He'll just say, listen, you don't have time to think about it anymore because you are living a life of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Verse 13, that we will bear with each other. Long suffer with each other. Be patient with one another. That that means that you and I make mistakes. Amen? Amen? And if you and I make mistakes, that means that other people are going to make... It's okay to talk when I ask her. They're going to make mistakes. And that means that we recognize that other people are going to make mistakes. So when they make mistakes, we bear with them. We give them a pass sometimes. And we do it for a long period. 
That's a lot easier said than done, right? It is. You see, you and I always want people to bear with us when we make mistakes. We're not so easy to bear with other people when they do. You ever been to a fast food restaurant and you didn't get your order exactly right? You don't realize it until you get home? And you did not want onions on that hamburger? And suddenly your world has been turned upside down because of a few white onions. We bear with each other. And then it gets harder. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know what's interesting about that to me? It doesn't say a word in there at all about making sure the other person accepts your forgiveness or wants your forgiveness. It just says you are to forgive. You cannot control what the other person does, but you can control what you do. Forgive. One of the reasons some of you in this room haven't been able to move past your past like you would like to is because there's somebody in your past you need to forgive. There is somebody in your past that you need to forgive. And it doesn't matter if they want it, if they've asked for it. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that we are to forgive as the Lord forgave us. He gave His life on that cross for you and for me when we didn't deserve it. And we are to forgive each other. Here's the last thing. If we're going to be the people and embrace our new life, is not only we embrace God-given identity and live by it, but the last thing is we acknowledge God's goodness. I love how this ends in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as a member of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. In my life, in those times when I've gotten caught in some bad decision or mistake I've made in the past, and I go back to it, one of the things that always helps me to move forward is to be thankful for what God has done and what He is doing. And the truth is, it is only when, and people love to talk about verse 15, and they love to talk about the peace of Christ, but it is only when we embrace our new life that we are able to experience the peace of Christ. It is only when we are willing to say, Lord, I understand who you are and what you've done. I want to perform a funeral for my past and I want to embrace the new life that I have. It is only then that the peace of Christ reigns in our hearts. Over the last four weeks, what I hope we have done is we've begun to help you. It's not a process that ends today, but to help you to see that your identity is tied much more to who Christ is and what He's done than anything else in your life. And while the world will try to rob it through relationships, or they'll try to mug you through the mirror, or they'll try to steal it by success, or they'll try to pickpocket you by your past, that in the midst of it all, you must remain firm in who you are in Christ. Now, let me just say that for some of you in this room, the reason that you're mugged by the mirror or robbed by relationships or pickpocketed by your past is because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. That you have never come to the place in your life where you have asked Jesus into your heart, where you have asked Him to come and to save you, where you have said, Lord, I want you to come and fill me and to take care of all of that stuff. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then you are letting the world identify who you are. 
And this morning, perhaps for the first time, you're ready to get that straight. And you're going to come and you're going to say, this is who I am, and Lord, this is what I need done. I need you in my life. Now, for some of you, you're followers of Jesus, but you've allowed one of those things to kind of steal your motivation or your desire to live or your passion for Him or your life in general, and you're ready just to move on and to live boldly for Christ. And this morning you're saying, Lord, that's what I want to do. I'm tired of this happening. For you specifically this morning, there may be something in your past it's time to get rid of. And this morning, part of your funeral for the past is literally coming to this altar and praying and making a commitment here and that what you're saying is, God, in doing that, I'm letting that go and I'm focusing on you. For some of you, it may be that in these weeks that we've talked about identity, you realize that God has got some plan for you and you've been holding back and you're ready to step forward into that plan. I don't know what God may be speaking to your heart, and I don't know what His identity for you means, but I can tell you that it is a wonderful, great plan, full of exciting living. And this morning, God is speaking to your heart, and God is calling you to a life of reckless abandonment to Him. And that only comes when we understand who we are in Him. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to sing. And during that time, if the Lord begins to speak to your heart, I'm going to ask you just to come this morning and be obedient to Him. Would you join me in a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we just thank You first of all for who You are and what You've done. Lord, there is no way that we could be standing here today. There is no reason for us to be here except for Your love and Your death on the cross and Your resurrection. And Lord, and as we begin to think about Easter and think about all those things that are ahead, Lord, we thank You this morning for the fact that the tomb was empty that first Easter morning. And as a result, Lord, we are free to catch our identity in You to seek our identity in You. And this morning, Lord, I know that there may be people here that have lived their lives, Lord, looking for, looking for something. And they've tried relationships, and they've tried image, and they've tried success, and they are holding on to the past. Lord, but You've called us to a life that is focused on You. And this morning, Lord, You're calling them to lay down all of those things and to find themselves completely in You. Lord, I pray this morning that those people that are living in regret, Lord, that they would find peace this morning in You. And Lord, those that are living out of some shame or problem that has happened in their past, Lord, would find release this morning in You. Lord, we pray that this morning in this place that we would be completely surrendered to You. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen.